Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Um, so winter's here. <laughs> yeah, we just bypassed fall. <laughs> we do it every year in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, we have an allergy to fall, so we just skip right over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like 85 degrees last week, and today it's 40. Yeah. Yeah. And I think tonight or tomorrow, it's supposed to get below freezing. I mean, barely, but enough that, like, we're having to bring our plants inside and everything. So, yeah, you know, who needs fall? But, you know, what a better time to sit inside the screening room and just watch scary movies. Yeah, that's all we've been doing lately is just huddling underneath blankets watching movies. It's (laughs) the absolute best. Yeah, no complaints here. And this one, I'm so excited about this. I love this movie. I have always loved this movie. I I think if you're willing to overlook some Hollywood impossibilities, because there's a lot of them in this movie, uh, there are plot holes big enough to drive Rusty Nail's 18-wheeler through. (laughs) (laughs) But outside of those, you are left with, I think, a full-throttle, super high-tension suspense thriller that is one hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. This is one that I remember... Uh, it really stuck with me after I, I saw it for the first time, just like one of those that I remember like having to kind of like come down from because the, the, the adrenaline is so high in this movie. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. And it was one that I hadn't seen in years. So I was really excited to get to watch it again for this series. Well, I am really excited to talk about it. I am, too. Well. Before we do, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's fault and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find us because, yeah, the theater moves around, it's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And this month, in honor of travel and family and the start of the holidays, we are starting a new series we like to call Highway to Hell, where we check out horror flicks all about horrible road trips. And this week, we are talking about the 2001 butt-clinching suspense ride, (laughs) Joyride. It's so good. It, it's so good. It, and I I think the problem is that, like I said in the opening, you, you really have to suspend belief. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I'm totally willing to overlook a lot of things if you promise to entertain me. Yeah. yeah. If, if I come out at the end and I just had the best time, I can overlook quite a bit. And, yeah. and that's what you have to do with this movie. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have fun. And it's going to be the best. I'm so excited. I think that's exactly what the title gives off for this movie, is that this movie is literally just a joyride. You just have to enjoy it for what it is. Try not to think too deep into it and and enjoy the 
the craziness that ensues. Yeah. Now, if you were in the UK, this wasn't called Joyride. It's called Roadkill. Because uh, apparently Joyride means something very different in the UK. It's a, a little more sinister. Uh, oh. It's more about, you know, stealing cars and chopping them up and all that kind of stuff. So, oh. I mean, it's a sinister movie. So either way, I yeah. think it works. But yeah. uh, let's get into it because this one is a lot of fun. I'm excited. But of course, now is when I should give you guys our spoiler warning. As always, we are going to dish all the details here. So if you want to check out this movie before we do, as of this episode drop, it's available to rent on Prime Video, YouTube, and Apple TV. We always encourage you guys to watch it before we spoil everything here. But if it's not your jam, we totally understand that too. Literally zero judgment here. It's a really fun movie to watch, I think. it's And it's not very long either. It's a pretty quick, quick watch. I feel like it's very high tension. It's it's just I like it. <laughs> I love this movie, and and a big part of it is uh, the performance we get out of Steve Zahn. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is incredible in this. I love him in just about anything I've seen him in. Uh, so I yeah, go check out his performance. It is super fun, and really I think is a good part of my enjoyment of this movie. Yeah, I feel like this cast is is a really good cast for this time. Like it it has. Everybody, I feel like that was in their height, in their peak at this time in a lot of movies. And just it was a good cast. I love the casting in this movie. Yeah, it's very well done. All right. Well, Joyride, again, known as Roadkill in the United Kingdom, is a 2001 American horror thriller film directed by John Dahl and written by J.J. Abrams and Clay Tarver. The film stars the late Paul Walker, Steve Zahn and Lily Sobieski. The film opened theatrically on October 5th, 2001 and earned $7.3 million in its opening weekend, ranking number five in the U.S. box office. By the end of its run, the film had grossed $22 million in the U.S. and nearly $15 million overseas for a worldwide total of $37 million. On review aggregator website Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of 74%, with an average rating of 6.6 out of 10. The consensus reads, quote, A well-constructed B-movie thriller, Joyride keeps up the necessary level of tension and chills, end quote. Jack Garner of the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle called the film, quote, a well-performed, smartly staged B-movie romp that'll keep you on the edge of your seat and have your foot pushing a non-existent gas pedal, end quote. While Peter Travers of Rolling Stone said, quote, if you're looking to have your nerves fried and your pulse pounded, this is your ticket to ride, end quote. But of course, not everyone was as enthusiastic for this road trip. Kim Morgan of The Oregonian stated, quote, They're just driving and screaming and running, making the film come off as yet another teen scream sequel, end quote, which congratulations on figuring out how horror movies work. <laughs> and Felix Vasquez Jr. of Cinema Craze, who just said, quote, It's a dumb movie. Well, Fair enough. I mean, it's not for everyone, I yes. guess. <laughs> So there's no question that there are some problems with this movie. One of the most notable ones being that they just couldn't figure out how to end the damn thing. Included in the extras for the home video release, there is a 29-minute long alternate ending. Wow. And four other shorter alternate endings. Not to mention the endings that were shot weren't even the ending that was originally scripted. So they just couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. Yeah. 
So the main alternate ending features Rusty Nail dying by shotgun suicide with numerous bodies found by the police in his truck trailer. The other endings featured either Rusty Nail being arrested, being beaten in a fight with both Thomas brothers, being blown up in his truck, or had Rusty Nail run over with his own truck. The ending featured in the actual theatrical cut of the film is the only ending in which Rusty Nail lives, effectively opening the door to the two straight-to-video sequels that came out that no one ever saw. <laughs> so, so much time and money was wasted shooting all of these extra endings. In the alternate ending where Rusty Nail's truck explodes, you can see a water tower behind the truck as it burns. Uh, by the way, a water tower that cost production over $100,000 to build. The original intention was to have the truck hit the water tower and have the water come down and put the flames out so that it would be believable if Rusty Nail had survived. However, time constraints kept the scene from being filmed and the expensive set piece was never even used. Oh, no. It never got used to film that scene and then that scene never even made it into the movie. Oh, no. That sucks. (laughs) There's also numerous deleted scenes in the extra features. Sobieski filmed two romantic interludes, one with Steve Zahn and one with Paul Walker during the shooting and reshooting of the film. Both scenes ended up getting cut, but this is why it may appear to some viewers that Venna might be romantically interested in both of them, which... I actually never got that impression. I only got the impression she was ever interested in Paul Walker's character. Would you agree with that? Uh, I think primarily Paul, but I do know that, and I think it's because I remember watching uh, like the um, deleted scenes and alternative um, endings and everything. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was told that, it was like a love triangle movie or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was really going in. And I think it's because I went in with that expectation. You know what I mean? But this watch, I think having not watched it for many years, definitely felt more like she was partial to Paul Walker's character. Yeah. If I hadn't learned that of this extra scene, I actually would have had no idea that this was supposed to be some sort of love triangle. Yeah. Well, speaking of those sequels, the film did spawn two direct video sequels, Joyride 2, Dead Ahead in 2008, and Joyride 3, Roadkill in 2014. I honestly didn't even know that there were sequels (laughs) to this movie. I did know there was a two. I didn't know there was a three. I haven't seen either of them, but I... I was aware there was a second one. Well, I'm I'm sure they are something special. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the wiki. Are you ready to talk about this crazy ride? I'm ready. It it is. Whoo! It's intense. Should I give you the synopsis real quick? Sure. What are we getting into? So the synopsis for Joyride says it's summer break and college freshman Lewis Thomas has decided to embark on a cross-country road trip to pick up the girl of his dreams, Venna. But Lewis's romantic hopes hit a detour when he stops on the way to rescue his older brother, Fuller, who goads him into playing a practical joke on a lonely trucker over CB radio. Now that trucker, an unseen and terrifying force known only by his CB handle, Rusty Nail, wants the last laugh and revenge. Old Rusty Nail. Old Rusty. Creepy as fuck. You know, I had a history teacher in the eighth grade. I think his name was Mr. Williams. I thought you were going to say Rusty Nail. I was like, wow. (laughs) Well, it does tie into that. Uh, But every day he had to turn in uh, 
attendance reports Mm -hmm. and someone from the office would come around every hour to pick up everyone's attendance report. Uh, And so he would always add stupid names (laughs) that weren't real, like Rusty Nail and Bill Fold and stuff like that. So every time I hear Rusty Nail, it puts me back in eighth grade. That's amazing. You're welcome. (laughs) I don't know why I felt I had to share that. I love that. I love I love random things that are like random silly things that teachers do just because they're teachers and they can get away with it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure he thought he was hilarious and I'm sure all the kids just rolled their eyes. But in hindsight, now that I am an old person, I think it's hilarious. (laughs) It's come full circle. (laughs) All right. Well, are you ready for this movie? I'm so ready. I am very ready. Let's do it. So we get our opening credits over random vehicle related images as we hear different voices over a CB radio. We also get some production company names pop up and eagle-eyed viewers might spot the name Bad Robot. And if you are a J.J. Abrams fan, then you know that that is his production company. This was, of course, before the company was big enough to earn a logo before the opening credits where you see the little Bad Robot. Uh, (laughs) But it wouldn't be long he had already been working on Felicity for three years and was about to start Alias. So JJ's going to be just fine. Yeah, I had no idea he was involved with this movie. Totally did not either. So I was giddy <laughs> to find out uh, that he wrote and produced. Well, the CB chatter and random images eventually transition to a dorm room at 3 a.m. where we are privy to a conversation over the phone between two college students, Lewis and Venna. The two grew up together in New Jersey, but ended up going to school in different places across the country. Vina at the University of Colorado in Boulder and Lewis at the University of California in Berkeley. Lewis discovers that Vina has broken up with her boyfriend, which we're quickly gathering is a good thing for Lewis. Lewis is also keeping his roommate up who has finals in the morning. So Lewis tells him, sorry, I'll keep it down, and tosses a disc man at him, implying he should just put that on so he can't hear his conversation, which really means, I'm not sorry at all. Clearly, I think my non-important phone call with a girl is far more important than your ability to pass your final, Uh, (laughs) which actually affects your future. Uh, Selfish behavior is fun. (laughs) We're going to find there's a lot of that in this movie. The scene cracked me up because, yeah, he's like, okay, sorry, I'll keep it down. But then, like, doesn't lower his voice whatsoever. No, the he whole just time. turns over. He's like, so, where were we? <laughs> Give me the tea, Sith. <laughs> uh, so let's get some introductions out of the way real quick. Uh, Lewis's roommate here, uh, Danny, is played by actor Stuart Stone, who has several creepy credits on his resume. Aside from appearing in episodes of Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark, Stuart has also appeared in multiple feature films in the horror genre, including Blue Monkey, which is somehow about a worm-like parasite and not monkeys at all, (laughs) Serial Killing for Dummies, and Dummies is spelled D-U-M-M-Y-S, A Resurrection, Transylvanian Curse, The Haunted House on Kirby Road, Scarecrows, and Tar. Some of those he actually wrote and produced himself, so good for him. That's nice. 
Very nice. Very nice. Well, of course, Lewis is played by the late Paul Walker, who is most recognized for his role as Brian O'Connor in the hugely successful Fast and Furious franchise. But he does have one other creepy credit in the little-known 1986 horror comedy Monster in the Closet, which also starred a very young Fergie, credited under her real name of Stacy Ferguson. Did, did you actually know about Fergie's little acting career? No, not at all. I, I knew that she was in uh, she was in Planet Terror, one of the Grindhouse movies. I knew okay. that she was in that, uh, but that was already after she was a bona fide black-eyed pea. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't know about way back in the 80s yeah, me doing the thing. Well, of course, unfortunately, Paul would die in a car crash on November 30th, 2013, after attending a charity event for Reach Out Worldwide, Paul's own charity that he started that provides relief efforts for areas affected by natural disasters. And finally, we have Venna here, who is played by actress Lily Sobieski, whose real name is Lillian Rudabet Gloria Elsveta Sobieski. Oh. Which is one of the most epic names it I've really ever heard. Is. She sounds like royalty from an Eastern European country, and I love it. I was going to say, that name wields some power. Well, she does have a few other creepy credits, including the terrible 2006 remake of The Wicker Man. Not the bees. Uh, another 2006 horror thriller called In a Dark Place and a movie called Night Train alongside co-star Steve Zahn, who we'll be meeting a bit later. Also, according to her IMDb profile, she likes to collect locks of hair from major stars appearing with her in films. I mean, that's relatable, right? Everyone needs a hobby. <laughs> Also, apparently, Tom Cruise declined her request when they were filming Eyes Wide Shut. Well, shame on him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, next, Vinna tells Lewis how she wishes they didn't have to go home right away, that they had more time to decompress. Like, maybe if Lewis had a car, he could stop by Colorado and pick her up. They could have an adventure, just the two of them and a windshield. Well, this prompts Lewis to pull out his plane ticket that he has already purchased for his return home. But the ticket says it's refundable. So Lewis lies and tells Vinna he has a car and he's coming to pick her up. Quick cut to Lewis at a car dealership. Lewis has cashed in his ticket and is buying the finest car the price of a plane ticket will get you. And that is a 1971 Chrysler Newport. Yeah, I'm going to trust a 30-year-old freaking car to get my ass literally from one end of the country (laughs) to the other. That's almost 3,000 miles. (laughs) You better be willing to put down some money uh, to fix that car Mm -hmm. for the amount of times it's going to break down. (laughs) Also, during the opening scene, when the camera pans around Lewis's room, a toy model of this very car is visible on the dresser. Oh, that's fun. I hope there was a rusty nail next to it. (laughs) So Lewis takes his new slash old piece of shit car and heads out on the open road. He stops and calls his mother and informs her of his change of plans, that he's now driving across the country. His mother then tells him that they just found out about his brother Fuller, who has been arrested in Salt Lake City. But don't worry about it. It's, it's not your problem. Which is mother guilt speak for, go bail out your fuck up of a brother. <laughs> <laughs> Why do moms do that? We know whenever they tell us, don't, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It means it's not fine. Please worry about it. 
It means I'm worried about it, so you need to be worried about it. (laughs) And you need to do something that makes me not worry about it, (laughs) is what it means. Well, Lewis initially takes his mom's suggestion and decides not to worry about it, but that guilt just continues to eat at him, so he pulls a Yui in the middle of the highway and decides to take the 250-mile-out-of-his-way trip to bail out his brother. But not before getting pulled over for that illegal U-turn. Oh, yeah. And he also has a busted taillight, uh, so you can have a ticket for that, too. <laughs> All the tickets. You get a ticket. <laughs> and you, you get, get a, a ticket. ticket. So Officer Keeney here is played by actor Brian Lechner, who has a couple of creepy credits worth mentioning. He was in Mimic 2, Electric Boogaloo, and the infamously terrible Christmas horror flick Jack Frost. I'm 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 a fan of Jack Frost. It's a Christmas classic. It's it's yeah. It's well, it's a ride. <laughs> I didn't say it was a good Christmas classic. <laughs> Well, next we see Lewis arrive at the jail and we get our first look at his hardened criminal of a brother who actually was only in jail for drunken disorderly, uh, who turns out to be tiny, adorable Steve Zahn. I love Steve Zahn. He's probably 80% of the reason I enjoy this movie so much, despite the fact his character is an awful person. Yeah. He's selfish, impulsive, and refuses to take responsibility for his actions. Basically, everything bad that happens to them in this film is his fault. (laughs) I mean, yeah, at the core of it. Ultimately. Yes, 100%. (laughs) But yet, Steve Zahn makes him so damn charming and likable that you continue to forgive him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he really does a good job. Well, Steve Zahn does have a couple of other creepy credits, including Wolf Lake and Night Train, which, as previously mentioned, also stars Lily Sobieski. Nice. Nice. So back to it. The brothers' first meeting is so well done. These guys haven't seen each other in like five years, but yet their first encounter is not Hollywood over the top. Mm-mm. It's it's very subdued, like reunions between two men are. They don't want to show their feelings outwardly. So the way it's played, you can still sense their underlying excitement of two people who care about each other mm-hmm. that haven't seen each other in a while. Fuller's like, you came all the way for me? And Lewis is all, technically, you are still my brother. And Fuller has this beaming grin on his face. And he looks around the police station and is all, hey, this is my brother. (laughs) It's just cute. It It, is very cute. It tells the audience very quickly what their relationship is. They're they're not very close, but yet, you know, they're brothers and they do care about each other. So Mm -hmm. even after five years, they can just kind of pick up right where they left off. Yeah, exactly. Well, the two head out and Lewis explains that he's headed back home to New Jersey and is stopping to pick up a friend along the way in Boulder, Colorado. But he'll be happy to drop Fuller off wherever he'd like to go, to which Fuller thinks that sounds fine and invites himself along on the trip. So now back in the car, the two brothers head off in the direction of Colorado. Fuller wants to know about his friend Lewis is picking up. Lewis explains it's his childhood friend, Venna, to which Fuller says, you mean the blinker? That girl from the Heights? Apparently, Venna used to blink a lot, which is a weird quirk to remember about someone (laughs) that they moistened their eyes. Uh, Fuller continues to be nosy, asking questions and going through the glove compartment of the car. Fuller asks if the two are fucking, which Lewis takes offense to, as do I. Must we be so crude? (laughs) 
Well, Fuller gets bent out of shape that Lewis got all bent out of shape about the fucking comment. So he goes on to tell Lewis about how he's got the whole situation figured out about how Lewis has the hots for this girl. So he scrambled to buy this car at the last minute so he can step in and play the part of the neutered boyfriend. Well, this just pisses Lewis off more, who has one of the biggest overreactions <laughs> I've ever seen. Instead of just saying, shut the fuck up, bro, and punching him in the arm like most brothers do, he swerves the car off the road at full speed, nearly crashing into a fence. Yeah, it's it's quite abrupt. <laughs> I mean, he brings it to a screeching halt, and then Fuller's just like, uh, so you still good? You need me to drive, or... <laughs> To which Lewis responds, no more bullshit small talk about me, my relationships, or my car. All right, dude, chill out, college boy. (laughs) What is your problem? (laughs) It just, I think, is meant to show us, you know, how this is more than simply a mere crush for Lewis. Yeah. You know, he's been in love with this girl probably since they were kids. And now he has this opportunity. She's broken up with this guy. And he really does think he has a shot. And his brother is here making light of that. And But still, that's some intense shit, boy. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should take a class or two on reactions. Maybe we cut back on the coffee. Okay. <laughs> Well, next we see the boys stop at a truck stop. Lewis is on the payphone talking to Venna and explains how he's barely slowing the car down in Denver and will give Fuller a seven mile an hour chance to jump out and roll. And then he'll be there to pick her up. So apparently the plan is he's just taking Fuller as far as Denver and then he's going to go on to Boulder and pick up Venna and they'll go on to New Jersey. Meanwhile, as an olive branch, Fuller has had a CB radio installed in the car to pass the time. So back on the road, Fuller jumps on the CB and gets the conversation going. He assigns each of them a handle, which in the world of CB radio would be the same thing as a username in a chat room or forum. Fuller's is Black Sheep and Lewis's is Mama's Boy. All very appropriate, I think. Uh, He asks if anyone can see any bears from their rocking chairs and gets the reply, you got yourself a Kojak with a Kodak at 185 past Jamestown. So Fuller tells Lewis he's free to speed like a motherfucker for the next 40 miles. So... If you don't know, CB radio or Citizens Band radio is a short-distance person-to-person mobile radio system that allows communication between individuals across multiple channels. It's the same type of system emergency services like police and fire use for communication, only these channels are dedicated for non-emergency use and can be utilized by anyone. So after the 1973 oil crisis, the U.S. government imposed a nationwide 55 mile per hour speed limit and fuel shortages and rationing were widespread. So if anybody remembers the song, I Can't Drive 55, that's the whole reason why that song came into being because people were sick and tired (laughs) of having to drive so slow. That sounds exhausting. (laughs) Well, at the time, drivers, especially commercial truckers, used CB radios to locate service stations with better supplies of fuel or to notify other drivers of speed traps. But soon people realized they could use them to simply chat and connect with other people 
and everyone jumped on the bandwagon. Pardon the pun. The popularity of the use of CB radios in the 70s quickly made its way into films and television. Movies such as Smokey and the Bandit, Breaker Breakers, and Convoy made heavy references to the phenomenon, as did television series such as Moving On and The Dukes of Hazard. The craze was so big, even the former First Lady of the United States, Betty Ford, had her own CB handle, First Mama. <laughs> Basically, the CB radio is the precursor to modern-day anonymous social platforms such as Facebook and Twitter. And just like any other form of social media, CB interactions had its own lingo, trolls, and catfishers. So when you hear, you got yourself a Kojak with a Kodak at 185 past Jamestown, that means there's a cop with a camera at mile marker 185 just past the town of Jamestown. So end of the history lesson. I remember the first time I watched this, I was like amazed by all that lingo because I had no idea what was happening, but it all seemed very efficient. (laughs) It is very efficient. But yeah, it's the same thing as if, you know, 50 years from now, someone sees a movie and people are, you know, showing texting and chat rooms and you see things like BRB and LOL. Yeah. That might be a weird concept to them. Who knows what we're doing in 50 years? Yeah. But so not LOLing, that's for sure. <laughs> not LOLing. So it it'll it's very interesting to see this early form basically of social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our brothers continue down the highway with their ears on, which means they're listening to the CB, and they hear someone talking about the rain. He says, Some people like it when it rains. It's gonna rain hard tonight. Keeps everybody inside. So Fuller decides they should mess with the guy. Lewis doesn't want to, but Big Brother convinces him and gets Lewis to pretend he's a female. The idea is that they'll get this guy on the hook, and then, when he's good and worked up, they'll admit he's a dude and it was all a joke. Ha ha, what could possibly go wrong? Everyone loves being humiliated. (laughs) So they learn the guy's handle is Rusty Nail and pretend to flirt with him under the handle Candy Cane. So Lewis, in his best lady voice, says how he likes to pretend the person he's talking to is sitting right next to him, just the two of us and the windshield. If you remember, that's what Venna had said to Lewis that convinced him to buy a car and drive out to pick her up. So now they definitely have the guy on the hook, and Lewis starts sexting? I don't know what we call this, um... Only it's the CB version. Uh, So Lewis is really playing it up and Rusty Nail is into it. But you can tell he's a little uncomfortable. He even says, you know, I've never done anything like this before. Well, as you can imagine, the brothers are eating it up and laughing and having a good time. But before they can reveal that it was all a joke and in good fun, they lose Rusty on the radio. But oh well, no harm, no foul, right? Nothing nothing to be done here. Movie over. <laughs> so Rusty Nail here is played by actor Ted Levine, probably one of the most recognizable voices in Hollywood. And if you can't quite place it, imagine him saying, it rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. And now you've got it. It's the terrifying serial killer, Buffalo Bill from The Silence of the Lambs. Although most probably recognize Ted from the television series Monk. Uh, And he does have some other creepy credits, which include The Mangler, the 2006 remake of The Hills Have Eyes, 
Banshee chapter and Dig Two Graves. So Ted is actually one of two actors to portray Rusty Nail in this movie, the other being Matthew Kimbrough, whereas Ted provides Rusty's voice. He never actually acted with anyone else in the film. All of his voice work was done in post-production. Matthew was Rusty in the brief moments we do see him in physical form. Neither men were credited for their role, nor did either of them reprise their role in either of the two sequels. Also, Ted can be linked to two of his co-stars in other films. He starred with Paul Walker in the original Fast and Furious film, which was released just four months before Joyride came out. And he would work with Steve Zahn in an episode of Monk titled Mr. Monk's Other Brother. Noise. Did you ever watch Monk? I didn't. I know that I would catch episodes here and there, and I really enjoyed it. I have no idea why I never got into it, but it was a fun little series. I feel like I kind of generally heard that from everybody like i never heard anybody say it was their favorite show but i heard everybody say it was a decent show yeah it was very well done yeah well we next see the boys pull into the lone star motel for the night as it's pouring down rain we see at some point they have switched drivers and fuller is now behind the wheel and parks in a handicapped spot lewis tells him not to park there to which fuller says there's spaces all over the place to which lewis replies yeah i know that's my point Fuller then says, dude, I'm going to gimp it. I'm not just going to run in there. And this is just another way we're shown how much of a dick Fuller is. (laughs) (laughs) It's that constant selfish behavior with no regard for how his actions affect other people. But yet he's still so damn likable. I mean, I know I'm not doing the character justice because I'm just describing his general behavior. But it really is in Steve Zahn's delivery and subtle humor that you really get the full sense of the character here. Mm -hmm. I I really do recommend checking the movie out for yourself if you haven't seen it for his performance alone. He's just so damn charming. (laughs) So Fuller limps his way through the rain inside the office where a freaking jackass is yelling at the manager who happens to be Indian. I'm only bringing this up because it's going to be relevant to the scene. So what is the male equivalent of a Karen? Is it like David Scott? Some generic white boy's name, I'm sure. (laughs) So this asshole is all like, if one more goddamn maid knocks on my door asking about towels, where's your boss? I want the real manager. The white one. Fuck off. Oh. Fuck off. My God. I I just, I cannot, I cannot imagine saying that to someone's face, much less thinking like that. No. I just, I cannot. Well, Fuller steps in, in sort of an attempt to defuse the situation, maybe. He says, Hey, can I get a room for the night? You can disturb me. I love towels. Which, (laughs) haha, funny. See, Fuller's funny. Uh, (laughs) Well, David Scott, the fucknut, just whips around like, I'm not done here, friend. I haven't slept in two days. You best not mess with me. He then turns back to the night manager and says, Tomorrow morning, I'm going to have a long talk with your manager and your brown ass is gone. Oh, my God. He's the worst. (laughs) He is the literal worst. Absolute worst. He then storms out of the office, body-checking Fuller as he goes past him out the door. So back out in the car, Lewis has witnessed the whole exchange, even though he couldn't hear what happened. However, he does hear a familiar voice come through over the CB radio as we start to hear candy cane. 
Candy cane. Hey, candy cane. Candy cane. It's the worst. It, it became synonymous with this movie. I, you know, whenever I bring this movie up to to people, I find they either don't remember it or they'll say, oh, yeah, I remember I watched it and enjoyed it, but I don't remember anything about it. All I can remember is candy cane. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the thing that everybody latches on to. It really does become just eerie and horrifying every time you hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fuller returns to the car and is all, did you see that fucking asshole? But Lewis says, shh, listen, as Rusty Nail continues to call out for Candy Cane and ask if anyone knows her. So Fuller gets the bright idea to have Lewis pretend to be Candy Cane again to lure Rusty to the motel and to the room where our asshole, David Scott, the racist fuck, is staying. So they get to continue to prank this rusty dude and exacts a much-deserved revenge on an asshole. Win-win, right? Again. I, I feel like, yeah. What could possibly go wrong? This, no flaws in this plan. <laughs> it is foolproof. <laughs> well, Lewis is, of course, hesitant, but it's super hard to disappoint the older brother that you've looked up to and idolized your whole life. So Lewis agrees and sets the bait. Rusty is resistant to the idea at first, worried he won't be what she expects. But Lewis says, you're a man, aren't you? With a soul and a heart. That's all I'd expect. And that's really where this takes a hard turn from a harmless prank. The entire time the boys have been talking to Rusty, Rusty has been somewhat resistant to the idea of hooking up with someone he just met on the radio. He's remarked he's never done this before. He's worried about being rejected for his looks. He's not this leering predator that's been like, yeah, baby, show me your tits. Let's fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's the guys, really, that have egged him on. And now with Lewis's last comments, he's promised him something more than just sex. He's promised him acceptance, Mm -hmm. which at our core is all anyone really wants to be accepted for who they are. And and I think that's really important to understand, you know, Rusty's motivation here. Again, the message of this movie is your fucking actions have consequences. Yeah. And so keep in mind that everything that's going to happen to them all stems from this original prank. So Lewis, still as Candy Cane, goes on to say, well, I'm in room 17. Oh, and by the way, if you could bring a bottle of pink champagne, it's my favorite. And so the trap is set. The brothers are in room 18 while the racist dick wart, who hasn't slept in two days, tries to catch some shut-eye in trap room 17. So later that evening, the boys are watching infomercials in their room. Lewis asks Fuller if he ever misses home. Fuller says, I miss mom's chocolate chip cookies, playing football with dad on Sundays, going to... No, wait, that's someone else's childhood. What I meant to say was no. I I love this line so much. Again, it's so simple, but yet it tells you so much about their past and why they might have made some of the life choices they did. You know, obviously... Home was not ideal, and maybe he was just looking to get out and get as far away as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it says a lot that both brothers ended up 
completely on the other side of the country. I mean, they could not get any farther away from New Jersey. Yeah. So there's obviously something going on there that have scattered them far from home. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the boys continue to talk about home, but soon Lewis hears what sounds like a truck's air brakes outside. Lewis tells Fuller to be quiet, and they hear a car door shut. They mute the TV, and Fuller runs to the window just in time to see a man walk past to room 17 and knock on the door. We hear David Scott, the racist fuck, say, who the hell is it? And Rusty answers, I brought the pink champagne. Fuller begins laughing and is all like, this is awesome, while Lewis just looks like he wants to throw up. The brothers go over and press their ears up against the wall so they can try and hear more of what's happening next door over the storm that's still raging outside. We then hear David Scott, the racist fuck, let Rusty in and the immediate confusion from the two men that follows. But then you hear what sounds like a brief struggle and then some choking and gagging sounds until the room goes quiet. Fuller says, that's weird. Lewis says he thinks someone got hurt, so he decides to call the night manager to have them check. But the night manager ain't getting out in this rain to check on the racist asshole that treated him like shit, so instead he just calls the room, which we know because we can hear the phone ringing through the wall. And so do Lewis and Fuller. The phone rings a few times, but someone eventually answers and a muffled voice can be heard. Moments later, the boys' phone rings in their room. It's the night manager calling back to say the man in room 17 reported that everything is fine. We can then hear the TV get turned on through the wall, so the boys assume everything is fine and go to sleep. Ruh-roh. Something tells me everything's not fine. Rookie mistake. <laughs> Well, before we move on from the scene, I want to talk real quick about how well this movie does at setting up these intense moments, because believe me, I'm not doing it justice. Like this scene is so simple. It's just two guys listening through a wall. But the way they play that out with the storm outside, so it's hard to hear, so they have to put their ears against the wall, and we're trying to strain to listen as well. So it it really puts us as the audience in that room with them. And there's this great shot that director John Dahl does here where there's one of those horrible motel room paintings on the wall that depicts several ships being tossed about in a storm on angry seas. And our brothers are standing on either side of it, straining to hear what's happening in the next room as the camera pans into the scene in the painting until that's all we can see on screen is the painting. And as the real storm is raging on outside and lightning flashes, it reflects off the painting, but it gives the illusion the storm we're experiencing is coming from the painting, not outside. It forces the viewer into this surreal, detached space for a moment where everything feels ominous and somewhat off. It goes a long way to helping you experience some of that dread that the brothers must be feeling in this moment. It's really well done. Yeah, that is one thing that I really enjoy about this movie. And I think I even mentioned it when we were watching it was just how much I enjoy that this movie not only can like, you know, get you hyped up or get you really, you know, on the edge of your seat, but it it maintains it throughout the whole movie. It doesn't 
at least in, in my opinion, it never really gets too like too long of a lull or anything like that. And it really, like you said, does a good job at setting up really simple scenes, but doing it in a way that keeps you just tense the whole entire movie. It just does such a good job. Yeah, it, it does this thing where you feel like at any moment a switch could be flipped. And shit just goes nuts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You just constantly feel like you are on the edge of things going crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, the next morning we see Lewis coming out of the shower and getting ready for the day. Meanwhile, we can hear Fuller outside being questioned by a cop who explains that there was an incident in the motel last night. And he'd like to know if they heard anything. So Fuller does tell the cop that they did hear sounds and the cop asks him to describe them and Fuller <laughs> starts making these stupid choking sounds. He's going, yeah, it was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I love how he does it because he's like, no, 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 that wasn't one. Uh, no, that wasn't quite right either. Like he just keeps going. He's critiquing himself. Yeah. And he's getting upset that he's not quite getting Nailing the, the sound. <laughs> he's such an idiot. Uh, well, eventually Lewis comes out to see what's going on. They explain how they called the night manager because they were concerned. The cop says they know about the call and they also know that Fuller had a quote unquote altercation with the victim to which Fuller's all, wait, what? And the cop was all like, yeah, we found David Scott, whatever the hell his name is, face down in the median on the highway this morning. He ain't dead, but he probably wishes he was. And you don't know nothing about that. To which the boys are like, nope, sorry, didn't see a thing. So the cop's like, well, maybe a look-see might refreshify your memory. It, that's what he says. He uses the word refreshify. I use it on the daily. I get it. <laughs> I will from now on. <laughs> so the cop takes them to the hospital where we see this guy barely clinging on to life. And the cop says, ripped his jaw clean off as the camera zooms in on David Scott's poorly bandaged face with no lower jaw and just his big old tongue hanging out. It's one of only a couple of gory moments you're going to get in this flick. And quite frankly, it's pretty tame by horror standards. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, this whole movie, if if you like to steer clear of the gore, this this might be one you might be able to handle. It's really not bad at all. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think this one's more on the, like, the psychological side of things than it is on like the gore and the you know effects on that side of things for sure but also can we talk about uh this would never happen uh the police aren't gonna take two people and drive them to a hospital <laughs> number one you can't divulge people's personal medical information you can't just bring strangers to a hospital and say here's people look <laughs> at the horrible things that have happened to them it's just that's not gonna happen but I never understood why, if we wanted to have this big, huge reveal, you know, why it, it couldn't be discovered that the boys discover the bo body yeah, in the highway. The yeah, I, I, I never... mean, at the hotel. Yeah. Now, I, I guess, I suppose, it does lead them confessing to what they did, you know, that they lured the guy. But I still, I think they could have easily found him. I, the Taking him to the hospital thing was just weird to me. Yeah, no, I totally got those vibes the first time I watched it. I remember thinking the same thing because 
whenever the he walks out and the cops there i was ex- i kept expecting them to like take them t- into the room mm-hmm. you know and be like did you recognize this guy you know or something like that and so yeah when we ended up at the hospital i don't think i really thought along the line just because whenever i saw it it wasn't thinking of it that critically but like thinking of it more in the way of just like why did why did we r- remove them and have to continue this conversation elsewhere you know what i mean when we could ju- could have just continued talking there at the hotel to me in my head i was just like why did we make this go on so long when we didn't need to do that yeah it was it was a very weird choice but again like i said we are uh putting those things aside because they have promised to entertain me and so far they've done that yes. so i i will accept your weird hospital scene well Like I said, this does put the fear god in the brothers who decide to come clean, which brings us to your quintessential small-town sheriff character, played expertly by the incredible Jim Beaver, who's most notably recognized for his role as Bobby Singer, my personal favorite character in the hit show Supernatural. I I love Bobby. In fact, I think while we're watching, I I giddily screamed, it's Bobby. You did. (laughs) I haven't seen it in so long. I completely forgot that he was in this and it was just a joy to see him. Yeah. Uh, Well, Jim Beaver does have one other creepy credit as he appeared in Guillermo del Toro's horror mystery, Crimson Peak. I haven't seen that movie, have you? I have not. So basically, the sheriff rips them several new assholes. He tells them that he should keep them in custody if he thought it would help. Instead, he's going to treat this like an old-fashioned Western, and he wants the two of them out of Wyoming before the sun goes down. And here is another moment when we all just have to smile and nod and say, Okay, Hollywood, we accept your bullshit story. Because there's no way they'd be allowed to leave. Right? I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems like... They would be totally culpable in that man's attempted murder. I would imagine so. I can't imagine them just being let off like that. No. I, it, that does not seem right. <laughs> Something <laughs> is off here. should end right now. The boys are held in gusty until they appear in court. <laughs> uh, which is not as interesting as how this movie plays out. <laughs> Well, we next see the cops drop the brothers back off at the motel, where we learned that it was Lewis who ended up coming clean about the rusty nail situation, not Fuller. Fuller still refuses to admit that they've done anything wrong and cannot see how his actions have consequences. And this just pisses Lewis off. He wants so much for his brother to get his fucking shit together but he can't take responsibility for anything. So Lewis basically says, look, I'm taking you to Denver and we can part ways and go on with our lives. To which Fuller says, great. So the boys head out on the road again. Later that night, Lewis is driving and hops on the CB for a quick check of the speed traps and learns he's got a clear stretch for the next few miles. But soon, a familiar voice breaks through. Hey, candy cane. So Lewis wakes up Fuller, who gets on the CB and asks Rusty, what's your deal? He just says that he's looking for candy cane. Lewis tells Fuller he needs to admit that it was a joke, but Fuller instead decides to make matters worse and says he talked to candy cane about what happened and she doesn't want anything to do with him or his pink champagne, and that he needs to find a good lawyer because the cops are all over his ass. 
Well, Lewis grabs the radio from him and tells Rusty it was just a joke, to which Rusty just wants an apology. That's it. But do you think that's what Fuller does? Of course not. We're only 30 (laughs) minutes into this movie. So Fuller once again makes matters worse by calling him a pathetic, lonely, walkie-talkie, freak-show motherfucker and says he gets nothing from them because all they have to do to make him go away is turn the volume down. To which Rusty replies, You know, you really ought to get that fixed. To which Fuller asks, What? And Rusty answers, your tail light. Bum, bum, bum! Oh my God, he's right behind him! He must have followed them from the hotel and is somewhere behind them. So the boys start to freak out. It's dark out and there's several cars and trucks around them, but it's impossible to tell which vehicle is his. Fuller says they'll be fine as long as they keep driving. But you guessed it, they're almost out of gas. So they're going to have to stop. They take the next exit and pull into a gas station, and it doesn't appear that they're being followed. So Fuller gets out to pump the gas while Lewis goes inside to pay. But when he gets inside, the clerk isn't behind the counter, so he decides now's a good time to use the payphone to call the sheriff back in Table Rock to let him know that Rusty Nail is in the area. Well, outside with Fuller, we can see an ice truck has exited the highway and pulls into the gas station. Well, the driver gets out carrying some sort of club and walks over and gives his tires a couple of thumps. He then takes his trusty beaten stick and heads inside. Fuller starts to freak out, convinced this is Rusty Nail, and starts trying to get Lewis's attention through the gas station window, which he does. Lewis now is on high alert as the man and his stick try to pick out a refreshing beverage. Lewis gets off the phone and goes to the counter to pay for the gas with his credit card, and the man with the stick comes up and is now standing right in line behind him. Lewis signs for the gas and leaves, and he and Fuller get in the car, but the guy comes running outside after them, and so, in a panic, Lewis pulls out of the gas station lot, nearly hitting another truck, which causes them to take off in the wrong direction that leads to a dead end, not the highway. The ice truck begins to pursue them down a dirt road until the boys encounter a locked gate and can't go any farther. The truck pulls up behind them and the boys lock the car doors. The man begins to approach the truck and Fuller starts yelling that they have a gun. The man then knocks on the window and says, And I have a MasterCard. Turns out it was all just a silly misunderstanding and this guy was just trying to return Lewis's credit card that he left at the gas station. We get a good laugh out of it, and it's a great way to lighten the tension and keep your audience on guard. Now we know we can't trust our narrative and don't know what to expect. Oh, and that giant wooden club he was carrying? Apparently, uh, that's just to check his tire pressure? I mean, I use a tire gauge the size of a ballpoint pen (laughs) that can conveniently be stored in my glove compartment. But hey, I I guess for some people, size really does matter. (laughs) Well, the guy asks if they're okay to get back to the main road and Fuller tells him, yeah, now that we're not murdered. So the guy leaves and our brothers have a good laugh and Fuller says he's never felt more like a pussy in his whole life and the two get out of the car to calm down from the near-death experience. The ice truck starts to back up and turn around and Lewis tells Fuller that they should get to another payphone so he can try the sheriff again. 
but they start to hear what sounds like another truck. The boys turn around just in time to see an 18-wheeler slam right through the ice truck, sending ice flying everywhere and barreling straight toward the boys in their car. The brothers scramble to get back in the car, get it started and in gear, and plow through the lock gate in front of them just before the truck smashes into them. The pursuit continues on down these dirt back roads, and can I just say how much of a pet peeve it is when they add the sound of tires squealing on dirt roads? <laughs> Tires only do that on pavement, not dirt. But they add it every freaking time because the audience expects to hear tires squealing during car chases. Anyway, Lewis makes a hairpin turn that the 18-wheeler is unable to make, so Lewis can now put some distance between them. Except in his panic, Lewis slides the car sideways into a tree, which I guess is fine. The car is still drivable, but it's now hung up on the tree roots. Lewis tries to rock the car out, but it ends up stalling the vehicle right as Rusty has caught up with them. Fuller is yelling at Lewis to go, but the car won't start, and the 18-wheeler now pushes forward, pinning the car to the tree. The truck keeps pushing forward, lifting the car on one side into the air. The glass in the window starts shattering. The frame starts to buckle. Fuller grabs the radio and screams, Come on, man! Don't kill us! We apologize! We were just playing with you! Don't fucking kill us! Rusty asks, why? Fuller answers, just for a laugh. Rusty repeats, a laugh? To which Fuller answers, just for fun. To which Rusty says, well, I was just playing with you, man. And he backs the truck up and simply drives away. This whole scene is so epic and so fear inducing and toys with your emotions all of this this whole everything I remember the first time I watched it I was like I think this was kind of like my first soiree into like an action type of movie you know mm-hmm. with that high adrenaline type of scenes uh just because I it was never really my jam before but I think this movie really was kind of the catalyst for realizing that like when it's mixed with like thriller and horror elements i really dig it yeah and uh, i think it was because of this scene that i was just like okay we we were lulled into that sense of security with the ice truck driver and then here comes (laughs) rusty nail fucking barreling through everything yeah it's it's absolutely amazing yeah and again i certainly cannot do this scene justice i it is so much fun (laughs) to be just this panicked and terrified with them it's just and it's exactly like you said it's the fact that we we just get over this crazy moment with this ice truck driver and the guys are panicking from that and and now they're literally trying to regain their composure but here comes bigger batter. Yeah. You know, because the ice truck, it's a truck, but it's smaller than mm. an 18-wheeler. It's yeah. like the size of a small, uh, like, U-Haul that you would rent mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to move over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, so when this big 18-wheeler comes and literally crashes right through the trailer of the truck. Yeah. And it's just this epic thing. You're like, holy fucking shit, here we go again. And yeah, the whole thing with them being pushed up against this tree, mm-hmm. you think they're, it's like the trash compactor scene yes. in Star Wars. Yeah. It really does, I think, just kind of lend credence to how creepy Rusty Nail really is and his yeah. demeanor and his tone and how he was like, oh, I was just, I was just playing with you too. And it's like, no, this no. Is, your jokes are different, my guy. <laughs> These 
are really scary. <laughs> this is not this is not a little prank. I'm scared. <laughs> the pee on my pants says otherwise, so <laughs> glad I wore my brown pants today. <laughs> Well, the next morning, we see the boys at a service station getting the car fixed up, including having that taillight fixed. They get back on the road toward Boulder, and Lewis asks Fuller not to mention to Venna what happened so they don't freak her out. Fuller agrees, so much so, that he actually unhooks the CB and tosses it out the window. Again, I'm not doing this scene justice. It's, It's real short, but you can tell... That what happened last night really fucked with Fuller. This is the first time we've actually seen him kind of like, oh shit. Shaken. Yeah, this is this is bad. We yeah. are in a bad situation. I still don't think he's fully put it together in his brain that he is the cause of it. And it continues to make things worse. But at least he re- recognizes that this is no longer funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that it's not just his life at stake either. Yeah, absolutely. Well, next we see Lewis arrive to pick up Vinna, and she is reintroduced to Fuller. Obviously, she's not the little blinker he remembered from growing up in Jersey and mouths to Lewis that she's hot. We then see Vinna's roommate, Charlotte, pull up in her Beamer, and the two share one last goodbye until next semester. Fuller does his best to convince her to go with them, but she's headed in an opposite direction to San Antonio. And you know, that's just like Charlotte driving off and waving like that. (laughs) So Uh, Charlotte. It's another great Fuller line. Uh, So it's just the three of them on the next leg of their adventure. It's bananas that all of this has happened and they're just now picking her up. They're just now picking it. The movie's halfway done. And and we now finally have our core group together. Yeah. It's crazy. And so much has happened. I know. That's what I mean. It's like... <sighs> yeah, it's not like... It's, so high it's not like we've been waiting. It's not like, <laughs> oh, finally, geez, we pick her up. It's just like, oh my God, what so else much has happened? Happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, next we see our trio stop at a truck stop in Nebraska. Now... I know the original plan was to drop Fuller off in Denver, Colorado, and I know after their horrifying encounter with Rusty Nail, uh, Lewis asked Fuller to just come home with him to Jersey, but Fuller declined. So why he is still with them a whole state later, I have no idea. But again, you entertain me, I'll accept it. So (laughs) here we are. Well, Venna takes a moment to thank Lewis again for driving her home. She says it's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for her. Lewis puts his arm around her, but that's as far as it goes. Then Fuller, who has been pretending to be asleep in the back, sits up and says, "Uh, so this is the part where you kiss the girl, which just makes everyone uncomfortable. (laughs) It's like, shut up, Fuller. (laughs) Go back to sleep. (laughs) Well, next we see our travelers check into the Owl Motel and then head to the local bar to unwind. At one point in the evening, Venna goes up to the bar to order another round and is hit on by one of the locals. Venna makes it quite obvious that she isn't interested, which just pisses the guy off. So when Lewis comes over and is all, what's going on? The dude is like, is this your bitch? Because you better shut your bitch up. But Lewis is like, um, uh, so finally Fuller comes over and just starts screaming at Venna, shut up, bitch. Are you mouthing off again? And he grabs her by the arm and forcibly escorts her out of the bar. Lewis then just goes, gentlemen, 
and he too walks out. I I don't get it. it was this a win? Because Lewis is acting like something really cool just happened, <laughs> and they showed those guys. <laughs> I mean, I get wanting to avoid confrontation, especially after the shit storm that they just went through with Rusty. But screaming at a woman, calling her a bitch and manhandling her just so you can pretend to be another alpha male just to avoid conflict is gross. Yeah, not a fan of that. This is not clever or funny. You're just as much of an asshole as the person you're trying to avoid. Yeah. Please don't do this. Could have maybe been an advocate for her in that situation. Yep. You really could have stood up and uh, put someone in their place who was being an asshole. But, you know, it's fine. Also, our bartender here is played by Terry Leonard, who was the stunt coordinator on both this film and on several of the Fast and Furious films with Paul Walker. But he also did stunt work on some other horror films, including Nightmare Honeymoon, Christine, Gremlins, Deadly Friend, the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer film. Never heard of it. (laughs) And Netflix's 2018 smash hit, Bird Box. Oh, nice. Uh, Also, our local asshole here is played by actor James McDonald. He was in the 2013 Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, Texas Chainsaw 3D, but he also was in a 1990 film called Two Evil Eyes, which sounds very intriguing. It's based on two short stories by Edgar Allan Poe. It stars Harvey Keitel and Adrian Barbeau, and it was directed by Dario Argento and George A. Romero, only the two biggest recognizable names in horror history. Again, you're just you're giving me so many vague things to go off of. I don't recognize any of this. I don't. How do I? I'm <laughs> sure that there are people yelling into the podcast ether. How could you not have heard of this movie? Yeah, I actually haven't either, to be honest. I've never. Never. I must now see. Yeah, it sounds really good. It does. Well, back at the hotel, Fuller walks Vena to her room and lingers a little too long before Lewis finally shows up. Back off, Fuller. The boys leave Vina at her room and retire to their own. Fuller turns on porn, but Lewis quickly passes out. Is that something guys do? Watch porn together? I literally was wondering the same thing when I was watching it um, the second time through, because we've mentioned before that we'll kind of watch it um, separately and then to get, you know, together and then separately. Meaning this movie, not yeah. porn. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking uh, <laughs> while I was watching this movie and that scene, literally the exact same thing you just mentioned, because I was like, there's, <laughs> they just pop it on and then just start conversating. And I'm like, I just can't imagine. And it seems me- like this should not be a group activity. Yeah. I mean, like, whatever. I don't even care how many people are in the room. It's just like, it just feels like I never do that just to, just to have a heart to heart with my bestie. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's just... It was a really bizarre situation. I thought, like, I thought in both, um, well, not both, but the first time I watched that and then this time when I watched it, I thought he was in his own room, like, talking to himself. Oh. And that's why I was like, oh, okay, he's just really, he's about to just hang out with some porn. That's cool. And then, yeah, when when it turns and there's somebody else in the room and they're just popping on porn together, I was like, okay, well, I guess friends will be friends. What do they do? Yeah, and- they're brothers. That adds another element that, it, you know, I mean, to each his own. But yeah. I, I'm just, I'm... It's weird. I'm sorry. It's a little weird for me. 
Yeah. If someone I'm, I'm not, not shaming you. <laughs> it's just a little weird for me. Yeah, but if someone I'm not involved with sexually, especially my brother, was like, yeah. hey, want to watch some porn? I'd be like, is there nothing on Netflix? <laughs> Everyone's really liking that Squid Game. Maybe we could check that out. <laughs> Yo, I just, no. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. I'd rather not. Thank you, though. Well, Fuller, knowing damn well his brother has passed out, asks him if he and Venna are just friends. Because if they're more than that, just tell him and he'll back off. So when Lewis's drunk ass doesn't answer, Fuller makes his move and heads back over to Venna's room and offers to make them both nightcaps. Venna tries to blow him off by saying they need to get an early start in the morning and should get some rest. But Fuller keeps pressing the issue, and Venna finally just relents and lets him in, even though she's already expressed she'd rather not. She even tells him she doesn't think she can drink anymore, but Fuller disagrees and makes her a drink anyway. So Fuller's behavior here is no different than the asshole in the bar. Venna has made it very clear she's uninterested, but Fuller is just flat out ignoring her and is even trying to convince her that what she's feeling is wrong. But because he's charming and funny, it's more difficult to recognize that what he's doing is wrong. Yeah, yeah. Just because the tone changes doesn't make her more comfortable or or more willing to say yes. Yeah, and it's obvious. I mean, she even keeps bringing Lewis up. You know, it just was very obvious to me that she was not interested in Mm -hmm. Fuller. And Mm -hmm. it just, it made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, back in the brother's room, Lewis is still passed out when the phone starts ringing. Louis groggily answers it, only to hear Rusty Nail's voice on the line say, you said there was no girl. And that's when we all collectively shit our pants. <laughs> <laughs> well, this wakes Lewis up real quick as he sits bolt upright. He tells Rusty, there is no girl, to which Rusty says, then what is she doing in the other room with your brother? Oh, again, again, shit. a little turd popped out. <laughs> That's so scary. <laughs> I hate it. Uh. Did you have a turtle? Did you have a little poop turtle? <laughs> no, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Get off my couch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> so Lewis hangs up the phone and goes running to Venna's room and tells Fuller that Rusty is out there watching them. And that he just got a call asking why Fuller is in there with Venna, which is an excellent question, by the way. So the brothers tell Venna that they're leaving and Venna says, well, how scared am I supposed to be? To which the phone in Venna's room starts ringing. So Fuller says, "Uh, much more than usual. And they all (laughs) run out. Well, they head down to the car, but they run into a regular motel guest along the way, and the three of them freak out, and the guy's like, what the fuck? (laughs) It's hilarious. The trio get into the car. They never go back to the brother's room for their luggage, but oh well. And they just take off. So Fuller, who's driving, says they're going straight to the police, and then they're going to go home. I guess Denver really is out of the question at this point. So Lewis starts to explain to Venna how they didn't want to tell her about any of this because they didn't want to freak her out. Meanwhile, Fuller starts to notice the road signs they're passing, and it appears someone has spray-painted words onto the signs. 
The first one reads look, the next one reads in, the next one reads the, and the next one reads trunk. Fuller slams on the brakes and pulls over. Lewis asks him what the hell he's doing. Fuller explains about the signs, and Lewis says, how do you know they're for us? As Fuller points to the final sign that he stopped in front of that says, Lewis. So, look in the trunk, Lewis. So they all get out and the guys don't want to open up the trunk because it could have a dead body or a head or a bomb inside. But Venice says she's not getting back in the car until she knows what's in the trunk. So she takes the keys and opens it. And inside is the most horrifying thing the brothers could have ever hoped to see. The fucking CB radio. No, thank you. That's right. The very one Fuller threw out the window. Rusty picked it up off the side of the road and has kindly delivered it back to them. And then Venna gets my favorite line in this movie when she says, I'm not going anywhere (laughs) until someone tells me why I should be afraid of a radio. Well, we next see our trio head back down the highway, listening to the static on the now plugged in radio. Finally, the silence is broken and Rusty once again calls for Candy Cane. Well, Fuller says they're not going to talk to him. They're just going to listen. And Rusty starts talking about how when a corpse can't be identified, they cut off all the fingers and the jaw and put it in a jar with a number on it. But as he's talking, a girl can be heard in the background over the radio, and Venna recognizes the voice as her roommate's Charlotte. Oh my God, remember her? So now Venna's really freaking out, and Lewis gets on the radio and is all, What do you want? And Rusty tells him he wants them to go to the State Line truck stop parking lot and wait for him there. If they try and call the cops, he will take Charlotte apart piece by piece. And so off to the state line truck stop we go. The next morning, Rusty contacts them on the radio and informs them that he would like Fuller and Lewis to head inside and order six cheeseburgers each. Oh yeah, and they're going to have to do that naked. The guys try to argue that someone's just going to call the cops, which should be a valid point for someone trying to avoid the police. But Rusty just says, oh, come on, it's just for fun. So the boys head in, dick swinging, as Fuller puts it, and tells Vinna to honk the horn if anything happens. The place is packed, and they're seen by multiple people, including families with children. And even though this is before cell phones, someone still would have gotten to a payphone lickety-split if two guys showed up at a Nebraska truck stop buck-ass naked. Mm -hmm. But again, we're suspending all logic and reason in return for our entertainment. That's the deal we've made with the Hollywood Devils. (laughs) And as our boys head in to face their humiliation, we hear Rusty over the radio give his exposition as to why he's doing all of this. He says, now they know how it feels to be the brunt of the joke. Your heart pounding, face burning hot. Now they know what it feels like to be the fucking punchline. Venna says, they told me what they did to you. I'm very sorry. Rusty says, it's a little late for that, isn't it? I bet your friends had a really good laugh seeing me in the rain holding my bottle. Venna responds, sometimes people don't know what they're doing. They don't think what they do can really affect anyone. To which Rusty replies, well, that's a lesson your friends will have to learn the hard way. 
Well, back inside, our naked brothers, minus the band, approach a waitress and ask for their 12 cheeseburgers. The waitress asks if they want fries with that. They're then approached by the manager, who wants to know if this is some kind of fraternity stunt. But before they can explain what's going on, Venna starts laying on the horn outside, so the two take off running. And if you listen very closely as they run out, you can hear Rusty somewhere in that restaurant laughing. We never see him because we never actually see Rusty's full-on face, but you can hear him. He's actually in the restaurant at that point. It's a pretty cool little Easter egg. So creepy. Well, back on the road, we learn that Rusty left instructions with Venna that if they ever want to see Charlotte alive again, they are to meet him later that night at another predetermined spot, which when they get there, turns out to be a giant cornfield in the middle of nowhere. So Rusty contacts them and tells them that something special is waiting for them about 100 feet up the road and that they'll need to get out of the car. Fuller, of course, wants to argue and is all like, I'm not taking one step. But Venna has had enough of his bullshit and is like, he has Charlotte. Do what he says. Get the fuck out of the car. And so they do. (laughs) And they walk their 100 feet. But they soon realize nothing is there and they're only out of the car so Rusty can come riding up in his big old scary truck and chase everyone off into the corn. So everyone goes running and we get a nice game of cat and mouse in the corn as our trio runs through the rows with a giant 18-wheeler chasing after them. Eventually the group gets separated and Rusty stops the truck, pulls out a spotlight and starts playing Brenda Lee's Everybody loves me but you over the loudspeaker. We see our three heroes in different parts of the corn, quietly trying to find each other, but it's Rusty who makes first contact and grabs Venna. He then gets her in the truck and drives away without Lewis or Fuller even realizing she's been taken. Eventually, the brothers find their way to each other, and when they discover Venna is missing, Fuller starts trying to blame Lewis, saying, How could you let her out of your sight, man? To which Lewis is like, Fuck you, man! You're an asshole! <laughs> Everything's coming to a head right oh here. Oh my god. <laughs> well, he's all like, Damn it, Fuller! You let her out of your sight, too! Take some goddamn responsibility! Well, as the boys are arguing, they hear Venna scream for help and see a ball of fire shoot into the air. They run in that direction, only to discover the hood of their car has been set on fire, and Venna's screams are actually coming over the radio. Lewis grabs the radio and screams into it, Leave her alone! Please, we'll do whatever you want. Rusty says, Do you feel like meeting me at a hotel later? He then tells him to meet him in Medford, the next town over, and be at room 17 at midnight. Don't be one minute late. Oh, and if you could bring a bottle of pink champagne, it's my favorite. So Lewis grabs a bottle of pink champagne that Rusty has left on the front seat of the car, and just in time, as Fuller pulls him away, and the fire on the car reaches the gas tank, and it explodes. I feel like right here is where we need to give a shout out to um, Venna because poor thing. She (laughs) just got picked up, just thought she was going on a little road trip, goes to a bar, gets yelled at, berated, gets yelled at, berated again by one of the people she thought she was going to be friends with. Mm -hmm. She's just constantly being pursued by these men that she's like clearly not interested in but she nobody's taking no for an answer except for the one she is interested in who is just 
too timid to make a move. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, yeah, she's just thrown into this cornfield situation where she's like, no, like, he has my friend. Get your ass out of the car. Let's take care of the shit. And then she's fucking kidnapped. It's like, <sighs> Venna, the VIP, she deserves, I hope, a good life after this. Poor Venna. <laughs> Yeah, uh, unfortunately, things aren't going to get too much better for Miss Vina. Yeah, things aren't. It's not uphill from here yet. I, I mean, I guess I should th- say things are going to get worse before they can get better. <laughs> we're, we're hoping things get better. Shame on them for putting this poor girl through it. <laughs> she just wanted a nice little calming road trip. Is that so much to ask? Well, the boys make it back to the highway and see that Medford is seven miles away. They also see a bar in the distance and decide if they're going to make it in time, they're going to need a car. So Fuller starts scoping out the lot and looking for an unlocked door. He finds one in an old pickup truck and hops inside and immediately attempts to hotwire it. But Fuller isn't having the best of luck and soon a patron comes out of the bar. The boys feign like they're having car trouble and the guy even offers to help. And just when they think they're about to get busted, the truck starts up and the two are on their way. However, as they pull out, we do see the owner come running out of the bar and screaming at them that they're stealing his truck. Well, next we cut to the motel room where Rusty is holding Venna. We see he has strapped her down in a chair and is adding more tape around her head so she can't scream. We also can see that he's placed the chair in front of the motel room door and he's rigged up a shotgun so that if the door is open, it will cause the trigger to be pulled, essentially shooting Vina and killing her. But don't worry, Vina is attempting to pull the upholstery tacks out of the chair in an effort to use them to escape. So let's hope that works out. (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Also, Rusty is once again listening to Brenda Lee on the radio. This one is called I Wonder. And I wonder why we've added this odd quirk at the end of the film. It seems pointless at this in the game. Yeah. Or whatever. Meanwhile, the boys pull into town and quickly discover there are multiple hotels in town and Rusty never specified which one they're supposed to go to. So now the boys have to go to every fucking motel and check every room 17 until they find the right one. And so they do, pissing several people off along the way. Finally, they're down to the last motel. It's always the last place you look, right? It's gotta be. Well, before they get there, we see Rusty call 911 and he says he'd like to report several dead bodies. That's that's not good. That's not good when uh, your villain is already predicting that your heroes are going to be dead. Yeah, it feels like he shouldn't be making that call. <laughs> Who gives you the right, sir? <laughs> Well, shortly after, he watches through a window as Lewis and Fuller arrive, jump out of the truck, and start knocking on room 17. Fuller tries the knob and discovers it's unlocked. He turns the handle and announces that he's coming in. We cut to Vina, who can hear the guys outside as she closes her eyes and turns her head, waiting for the inevitable. But when Fuller opens the door, nothing happens. They go inside, check the place out, but it's empty. All of a sudden, the phone rings. Lewis answers it and hears Rusty on the other end asking how it feels to be on the receiving end. Lewis demands to know where Venna is, to which Rusty answers, who? 
Lewis says he's not kidding, but Rusty says, see, you might not be kidding, but I am. That's the point. Get it? He then says, you know what I like to do, Lewis? I like to pretend the person I'm talking to is sitting right next to me. Of course, this clues Lewis into the fact that Venna and Rusty are right next door in room 18. Remember, when they first pulled the prank on Rusty, they were next door in room 18, and now the roles have been reversed. So Lewis tells Fuller that he's going to keep Rusty on the phone and that Fuller should go outside and see if he can see Venna through the window of room 18. So Fuller does, but he can't see in the window. So he decides to go around back of the motel and see if he can see anything there. Lewis is able to keep Rusty talking, which enables Fuller to figure out which bathroom window belongs to room 18. Fuller gets a peek inside and sees Venna tied to the chair and the shotgun set up to shoot her. But before he can do anything, Rusty comes to the window, busts it open, and grabs Fuller, pulling him halfway through and places his hand over his mouth so he can't yell out. He tells Fuller, watch this. It's going to be hilarious. As we see Lewis now throw down the phone and run next door to room 18, he grabs the door handle and starts to turn it as inside, Venna is still desperately trying to use those tiny nails to get out of the tape and Fuller is still struggling with Rusty the door handle continues to turn as the trap tightens and begins to pull on the shotgun trigger but Fuller finally manages to get loose from Rusty's grip as he pushes himself backwards out the window the force of which makes him fall backwards against the fence as he screams don't open the door don't open the door well this does the trick and Lewis lets up on the door handle and backs off Back behind the motel, we see when Fuller landed, a quarter-inch copper pipe went through his thigh, which he is now trying to pull out of his leg. It's so icky. It's horrible, but Rusty now comes through the bathroom window at Fuller and steps on Fuller's leg, pushing the pipe back through it, causing Fuller to scream in pain. Fuller's scream brings Lewis around to the back where he finds Fuller now hung up on the fence. Fuller tries to pull him down, but Rusty has taken the pipe and twisted it and attached it to the fence to where trying to get Fuller down just puts more strain on the pipe, causing more damage to Fuller's leg. Back up front, we see the cops have arrived. Remember, Rusty actually called them. One of the cops discovers this motel's night manager has been killed and alerts the others. They now start going to every room opening doors. Keep in mind, Venna is still tied to that freaking chair with a shotgun pointed at her. Meanwhile, at back, we see Rusty has gotten back into his truck and is repositioning it so that it's pointed at where Fuller is hanging on the fence. He starts revving the engine while Lewis tries desperately to get the pipe unattached from the fence. Out front, the cops continue to kick in doors, all the while getting closer and closer to room 18. Lewis finally gets Fuller down, but now they can hear the cops kicking in doors, and Fuller tells Lewis he has to leave him and stop the cops from opening that door. Lewis takes off running and makes it to the bathroom window in the back of the motel. He jumps inside and rushes to Venna, furiously trying to untie her. The two cops outside announce their intention to breach, turn the knob, and open the door just as the shotgun goes off, and we see Lewis has managed to pull Venna to the ground in time, saving her. 
Holy fucking shit. So intense. It's not over yet. Out back, we see that even though Lewis managed to get Fuller down off the fence, his leg is still impaled with that pipe and he can't go anywhere. Rusty revs up that engine and starts driving toward Fuller. Fuller screams out for Lewis, but Lewis is being held at gunpoint by several officers who might be a little curious as to why Lewis appears to have had a girl tied up in a chair with a shotgun pointed at her. (laughs) But Fuller continues to call for him as Rusty gets closer, and finally Lewis just says, I'm sorry, that's my brother, please don't shoot me, and he makes a run for the bathroom window again, jumping through it and rushing to his brother's side. The cops are soon to follow, and as Rusty's truck continues toward them, Both brothers yell, shoot the truck, shoot the truck. The cops finally seeing the threat open fire on the truck, but it's showing no sign of slowing down. Lewis and Fuller continue to try and free his leg from the pipe, doing so just in the nick of time and diving out of the way as the truck barrels into the fence and straight into the back of room 18, sending Venna and all the other cops running outside to safety. I am exhausted. This movie is a ride, y'all. Oh, it is a joy ride. (laughs) When the truck finally comes to a stop, the cops make their way back inside room 18. When they open the truck door, they discover the driver dead in the front seat and Charlotte still alive in the back. In our final scene, we see our trio being checked out by medics. Lewis asks one of the cops if they figured out who that guy was. The cop tells him he was just some trucker named Jones. He drove for some ice company in Wyoming. What? Wait just a goddamn minute. Just then, over the radio in the ambulance, we hear a familiar voice come through. Breaker 1-9, looking for a break westbound I-80. How's that storm looking? Looking forward to the storm. Keeps everyone inside. Washes everything clean. Hard cut to black. Roll credits. Rusty's still alive. And we can't ever breathe again. Oh my god. Never lets up. (laughs) Never lets up. It is crazy intense. You're just... It's exhausting in the best possible way. Yeah, and I think that's what works for me in, in action movies like that because now I can pretty much sit down and enjoy any to- any sort of movie, but to keep me fully engaged and everything, I, I definitely need that like maintaining that adrenaline rush when it mm-hmm. comes to action movies. Yeah. And, and that's what this movie does a really good job of. There's not a whole lot of lulls. There's not a whole lot of like... I mean, honestly, there's not a lot, a whole lot of like character building. That's why you were saying, you know, when we have those small snippets and moments of dialogue and things like that, they're really important because that's all we're really getting because the good chunk of the movie is dedicated to these action sequences and these scenes with um, um, Rusty Nail and everything. So I love that they do use the moments that they have of character building to do it so well and do it so personally for each character that way, the rest of the time can just be spent with all of us on our the edge of our seats. <laughs> yeah, and you know, luckily, this was done by a character building master, J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, think about 
some of his greatest work. He lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all about character exactly. building. And so he is able to do that in such a, a small window. Like yeah. you said, most of it is just this balls to the wall action. And so when we do get these tiny little moments, he uses that to his full advantage and and you get a lot of insight into mm-hmm. these characters just in very uh, small ways. But yeah. it's it's enough that you're endeared to these people and you care what happens to them. Even yeah. if Fuller's a fucking asshole, <laughs> you still love him. Makes me crazy. Lovable asshole. So just to recap, if you didn't pick up on what happened here at the inn, Rusty Nail is still alive and well. It turns out he killed that ice truck driver. Remember the guy with the club that returned their credit card? He either killed him after that encounter or the guy died when he crashed through the trailer of his truck. Regardless, whenever it happened, he used that guy's body and put it in the driver's seat of the truck so that he could escape. So it was Rusty. That was him all the way up to the end. He had Fuller in the headlock and was like, watch this. He goes and turns the truck around, but that's when he puts the body in, sets the truck to drive to into the fence, and he takes off and is able to escape. I, I As much trouble as they had finding an ending... I, you know, I don't hate the ending. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, I don't know. I think if this end, this ending suffered from anything, it would be just the lack of just a few details or, or maybe just a few clarifiers. Because like you said, um, it is easy to kind of, it happens so fast that it is easy to kind of miss what happens. Mm-hmm. So even if maybe just a few more seconds of explanation or some other details in it previously that could have helped to plant that seed a little bit better. Um, but I don't hate the the ending at all. I, I like the fact that, um, you know, Rusty didn't die. Uh, now, I don't necessarily think that needs to lead to many sequels, but I enjoy the ending for what it is. But I do think that, and I think this has to do with the fact that, like you said, they didn't have a whole lot of clarification on their own end on what ending they wanted to do. So when they landed on this one, I think those small details just didn't get put in you know yeah uh but i I think i agree i I enjoy the ending overall totally fine yeah this movie i think like a lot of hollywood movies it it kind of uh falls victim to studio heads a lot Mm -hmm. the thing with this movie was there's a thing in the industry where they will put a rough cut of a movie out and they will show it to what they call test audiences. They'll do a screening for these people who I believe they're maybe they're paid to come in. I don't know. But they, they come in, they show them the movie and they're just asked to give their honest feedback. What do you think of this? And that way, before they put it out to a mass audience, if something isn't testing well and people are like, oh, my God, we hate this ending. We hate this character. They can go back and make tweaks and try and make it better. So this movie had the same kind of treatment, but they kept going back and re-showing it in all these different versions. And it's just like they were so terrified of disappointing audiences that they were trying to make this perfect movie. It just seemed like anytime someone would complain about it, they were like, oh my God, we got to go back and reshoot it. Mm -hmm. They worked on this movie for two years, two years. Yeah. That's crazy in Hollywood time mm-hmm. to work on one project. That yeah. is insane. And it's because they kept going back and doing all these reshoots. And, you know, 
it, here we have this story where, you know, all these deleted scenes of these romantic interludes that never happened because they kept trying to decide, do we want to add that in? But then that wouldn't test well. And so they'd change this or it's just, it became this crazy, it's like fucking leave it alone. Yeah. Just leave it alone. You're never going to please everyone. It's not going to happen. So just have some confidence in your movie and just do it. (laughs) Just do it. Just do it. And they just tried to make too many changes. And, but Still, I think we still got a crazy fun movie. And that's all this is. I am, this is not a great movie. It's just fun as, as hell. Yeah. It's fun as hell. Yeah. Every absolutely. time I watch it, I just have the best time. Yeah. I absolutely agree. It, I, it's funny because I remember the first time I watched it, I remember um, genuinely being a little freaked out by Rusty Nail and everything like that. And um, the movie stuck with me. And I remember really enjoying it but it was one of those that kind of just fell to the wayside mm-hmm. but re-watching it this time I kind of like I guess re-fell in love with it again because it was just again <laughs> like I keep harping on high adrenaline and I was just totally here for it so yeah I'm it I'm totally fine with letting uh, all the weird wonky things fall to the wayside because it's just just a fun time and sometimes you just need those movies yeah absolutely well I guess we got to do some prompts I'm ready. All right. Well, let's do it. So what did you have for your popcorn spiller? Uh, So for me, it could really honestly be anytime Rusty uh, responds uh, to anything, but definitely it's that broken taillight response. Oh, yeah. Whenever he, you know, is right there. And that's when we kind of realize that he's he's legit and can see them and everything like that. It's 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 definitely one of those moments that like. I remember the first time seeing it, my jaw dropped. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 literally that the call is coming from inside the house yes, moment. Yes, You know, it's like, oh, my God, it's so much closer than you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's really super effective. Uh, you know, and to a lesser extent, because we've already done it once with the taillight, but again, when he does it uh, to Lewis and tells him that he's at the hotel and he knows that Fuller's in the room with yes. Vina. yeah. Uh, yeah, that's always just creepy. What was it for you, your popcorn spiller? Uh, I just kind of put the entire scene with the ice truck guy. Yeah. Uh, only, you know, I usually try to, to take it as literal as possible. You know, what moment shocked me that I would kind of jump and, you know, throw up my popcorn. But this one, I just love that whole scene so much. And we kind of talked about it before. It's, it's how it lulls you into that sense of, okay. We've been through this thing with the ice truck, right? Because, I mean, I was proud of myself because I was like, I'm not falling for it. I don't think that this is Rusty Nail. This is a red herring and it's just going to be some guy and they're going to freak themselves out. Mm -hmm. But then when he starts chasing him, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, Why is he chasing him, though? (laughs) Now I'm a little nervous. Could I be wrong? And so when you find out it's he's just returning their card you're like okay okay good i was right everything's fine it's fine i can breathe and oh that's like a shit here comes a bigger truck <laughs> and you and what you don't realize i only realized it going back when i did my second watch through this time to do my notes when they are leaving the gas station trying to get away from the ice truck guy if you remember i said they have to swerve out of the way to miss a truck that's coming into the gas station yep that's Rusty Nail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is his truck. Yeah. And so it's kind of their, his fault that they go the wrong way yeah. and end up getting 
trapped. And, and so I just, I love that detail, mm-hmm. that little detail that you might not pick up on your first walk. So that whole thing of just thinking you're safe and then holy shit, here comes the real threat. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Great. So who ended up being your uh, scene stealer? It's Fuller. Fuller, yeah. I, I mean, I hate him as a character, but I love how Steve Zahn plays him. Yeah. You know, you make me hate you and love you at the same time? Mm-hmm. Curse you and your wizardry, Steve Zahn. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? So mine ended up being Venna, and I know that like her role's pretty small in this movie compared mm-hmm. to like our main sure. main dudes. But I do enjoy the fact that like she comes in and really, I mean, despite the fact that she's scared, does kind of take charge of the situation. Absolutely, and uh, I enjoy I enjoy the actress Lily. I she was in like I said quite a few movies during this time period. Um, quite a few thrillers and horrors and stuff like that. And I just really enjoyed her when she was kind of in her height of it. So I was excited to see her again on the screen just because it had been forever since I had seen her. So immediately I was kind of gravitating towards her. And then, yeah, I was reminded again of just kind of like, sometimes you just need that that lady to kind of come in and be like, no, you guys, everything's fucked up here. Just get your shit together. Get out of the vehicle. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Pull your head out of your ass. <laughs> and let's take care of business. Yeah. 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 I I think the casting here as a whole was just spot on. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ted Levine as the voice, you couldn't pick a better voice. Oh, for I, sure. I cannot hear anyone else say Candy Cane. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. All the casting was great. Mm-hmm. It was so good. So now this is going to be an interesting one. The next two, I, I am really curious what you went with. Uh, so what did you have for your Gorgasm? Well, of course, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, the gore is a little lackluster in this movie, per se. Um, But I will have to say that I do enjoy the little bit that we do get. So Mm -hmm. I did go with the businessman uh, with the ripped jaw. Um, I will say that I wish that we got like a closer shot and like a little bit more, um, I guess, lingering because it's a a very quick flash. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see what it is and it does give you pause. uh, But as that kind of horror movie fan that's wanting gore i'm wanting a little bit more exactly exactly Uh, and and by the way uh not to interrupt but i i do have to mention this actually is not listed as a horror it's just a thriller yeah i didn't think that it was i know whenever we um were planning out our movies this this month i think is the only one that was strictly just like an action thriller or Mm -hmm. something like that but it, it it fit the theme and i feel like if it's a movie that can like i said keep you on the edge of your seat and keep you creeped out the whole time and leave you just send or even sends chills down your spine like whenever rusty nail just says fucking anything yeah then good enough for me yeah <laughs> i mean we've got basically this unstoppable killer who who is everywhere all the time yeah there's just it's it's almost has a supernatural element to it mm-hmm. so yeah i definitely think it falls under the category of horror uh but back to the gorgasm i i had the exact same answer yeah you know we basically had the two things to choose from it was either the dude's jaw ripped off or fuller when he gets the pipe through his yeah. leg which i mean it's that's cringeworthy because you know it's like oh god but yeah you i mean you gotta go with the missing jaw yeah because <laughs> it just sounds so horrific but you're right because we were in this hospital scene it's kind of bandaged bandaged up it's very I, sterile yeah yeah so it, it, like again if we had seen that injury to where like they find him in the middle of the highway before it was a bandage oh it, it could have been 
horrific. Yeah, yeah. But that's not what we get. We get like you said, exactly like you said, a very sanitized version of that. But it's what's implied there. Yeah, I think that that really gives it the gore factor. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, you got to think in your head like this dude just walked in there and ripped this guy's jaw off. That's fucking bananas. That's very bad. <laughs> very very bad. So who ended up being your memorable mortality? Uh, I have nobody because nobody dies. I, I mean, technically, we do have a couple of deaths. We know the ice truck driver dies mm-hmm. and that the night manager at the last motel dies. Yeah. But those are both off screen. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. what's to remember? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. I pretty much treated mine the exact same way. I just worded it in the aspect that if I had to choose the like more memorable scene, it would just be the ice truck driver scene. Yeah. Uh, but again, like you said, we don't we don't even know that he dies in that scene per se. I mean, I don't know how he would survive that. But yeah, it well, it's again, it's another thing you kind of got to see it visually when when the truck crashes through the ice truck it just goes through the trailer part. Yeah, 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 so the yeah. the cab part where he's actually sitting and would be driving still kind of keeps going right but i mean there could still definitely be some sort of impact damage from that For sure. i mean that's a horrific accident yeah. <laughs> but we don't see the guy die it's not clear if he dies then so again yeah it's just like i don't know i guess I remember he died. Yeah, yeah. So I completely agree with you. I think uh, as far as mortalities go, this movie is same along with the gore that it's just it's it's a little bit light on that fair, but I still think that it's it's so freaking good. Oh yeah, you're gonna turn into this one for the fun of it, for mm-hmm. the joy ride of it, if you will, uh, not for the gore of it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like you, even us horror fans, like you just need that sometimes. it's There's different aspects of horror, whether that's like the gory aspect where you're just kind of like, ugh, like the, you have the insides of you kind of turning. Mm-hmm. But then you have the thriller part of you where your heart's racing and you know you're on the edge of your seat. And both of those aspects are good for different reasons. And I feel like sometimes you just need those ones where you can't relax for an hour and a half. Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm getting up there in years, so it's getting harder and harder for me to exercise. So I just put a movie like this on, and for an hour and a half, my heart rate is elevated, and I am good to go. I need a nap. <laughs> well, you know, that's uh, going to bring us to the ultimate question. Do we put it in the vault, or do we leave it behind in the dead zone? I think it's pretty clear this one's going to go in our vault. It's got to go in the vault. I, I love this movie so much. I don't know why this movie just brings me so much joy, but every time I watch it, I am just giddy. It's just such a fun ride. I, I love it so much. I feel like, I, I, like you said, I don't know what it is. There's nothing that, like amazingly remarkable about it, but it is so good as like the standalone, uh, you know, road trip horror movie. And I feel like if that's the kind of specific niche that you're into, which we're going to be getting into this month, I'm super excited about it. I feel like this totally nails it. Rusty nails it. (laughs) Absolutely. Rusty nails it. (laughs) Look at you being all clever. Clever. Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 33 is... In the can. In the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful 
you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. That's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you want to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, 73157. And if you want to hang out with us and fellow late night weirdos, check out the show notes for links to our socials and our Facebook group, the Dead Zone Drive-In Discussion Room. Also, if you haven't already, be sure to check out our letterboxed link down in the show notes where I track all the horror we watch inside and outside of the screening room. And lastly, for next week's screening, we will be hitting the road again for the 2007 action horror flick, Death Proof. So if you want to check out that trailer, don't worry, we've got you. The link for that is down in the show notes. I'm so excited! I am so excited. It's going to be a first time watch for me. One of my favorites. And a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob. Their rendition of the Thong Song was an interesting choice for family night. It it was it was fun. I didn't expect my grandma to do that little dance she did, but she did it. Rock on, Nana. <laughs> and remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please... Buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. <laughs> Here's some random CB terms. Okay. Okay, so billy goat means an old timer. Okay. So I would be a cranky billy goat. Okay. That would be my handle. Bit on the seat of the britches means you got a speeding ticket. Oh. It just seems easier to say speeding ticket. <laughs> And apparently a Volkswagen was called a pregnant roller skate. <laughs> it's like, but think absolutely. About it. it totally, totally describes a VW bug. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> and now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.